This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Gordon Damer Show. Remember when the Jets beat the Broncos and they were celebrating that win and Robert Sala had the, the handshake with Sean Payton? What did he say to Sean Payton? Do you remember? He said, stay humble. Robert Sala might want to take his own advice. His line after uh, last week's game against the Eagles, the Jets' defense has embarrassed every quarter. The Jets, as an organization, talk more than any organization that has done nothing. I don't know. I would just think that for an organization that's not experienced a whole lot of success and a coach who's not experienced a whole lot of success, you kind of keep that one in your back pocket. This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. It would be like me gloating about NFL picks this year. Not experienced a whole lot of success, so maybe I should pipe down. Maybe I should stop making picks. That that might be the next trip. I, last year, great. Two years ago, sensational. This year, god-awful. Another one and two week, and here's the thing. When things go wrong in life, The main thing you have to do, for some, it's looking inward. For me, it's finding who to blame. And last week, like a couple of weeks ago, Patrick Mahomes, that slide against the Jets, which screwed us. Mac Jones, you... All you have to do is not take a safety. What does he do? Takes a safety. Another one or two weeks for us. So, look, it's crisis point at this point. We're 6-12 and on the seat. Oh, my God, it's been dreadful. One and two every single week, finding ways to lose. But are we are we giving up? No, no. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. That's what James Harden says all the time. If it gets tough, I'm getting out of here. We'll get to the uh, NBA uh, storylines coming up, and we will run the algorithm. I have run it, and I know who this season will be the NBA MVP. The Free Money Express is loading up. Make sure you get your ticket. Get on board now. We'll be doing that uh, before we get out of here at noon. But right now, time for NFL picks, which have, again, in case you didn't get it, have been horrendous. But this is the week. Much like every Monday, I tell my wife, sweetie, that is it. I'm going to eat right this week, and then by Wednesday, I'm eating burritos. This is the week. We turn it around. Week 7 in the NFL. And last year... Uh, one of the reasons why I was so successful last year, again, best host picking games on the station, in case you hadn't heard. I had figured out the Dolphins were absolute frauds, and uh, I rode that to uh, success and victory and tons of money and all those great things. This year, though, I've been proven wrong. Before the season, we did our receipts, and I said the Dolphins will finish in in last place in the AFC East. Could not be any more wrong. They have been the the toast of the town. The offense is lighting people up, and they have raced out to a lead in the AFC East. Got a game lead over, well, really half a game lead over the Bills, but still, it's a lead. This week, big matchup. Dolphins, Eagles, Philly, favored by two and a half. Well, here's the thing. I've been proven wrong on the Dolphins time and time again. But if you know anything about me, just simply being proven wrong does not get me to change my mind. The Dolphins so far, you would have, I don't know all the different uh, metrics that they use to, to measure schedules, but you'd have to say in terms of just defenses, could you draw up an easier schedule of games at this point of the year than the Dolphins have had? 
They opened against the Chargers, whose defense is terrible. They then played the Patriots, who are god-awful. Then they played the Broncos, who, again, they scored 70 against, but still, Broncos are terrible. Stay humble. They played the Giants and the Panthers. Those are their wins so far this year. Five and one. The one time they went up against a somewhat legitimate team, you would say, was the Bills, and they got absolutely exposed. Now, are there concerns with Philadelphia? Absolutely. This year, they've not been as efficient as they were last year. Turnovers have been a problem. They've struggled in the red zone. But what we've seen, and in the past, one of my big things was fade the public. But this year, the public has done uh, a pretty good job. They've nailed their games at a pretty high clip so far this year. So 68%, I think it's the third highest picked game this week in terms of betting. 68% of the public is on the Eagles. I'm jumping on the bandwagon. Give me Philly minus the two and a half. Game number two. Uh, after what Mahomes pulled that game against the the Jets, they were they were off the they were off the slate. I'm not I'm not picking them anymore. The, the rest of the year, another team that I cannot pick anymore, ever again, the Patriots. Last week was set up perfectly, <coughs> perfectly, to be able to to maybe not get a win. I wasn't necessarily expecting a win, but I was certainly expecting them at the very least to be able to cover. A coaching matchup between the – I still think you have to say he's the greatest head coach in the history of the sport and Bill Belichick, or at least on a short list, going up against Josh McDaniels. It's a coaching league, the NFL, and yet disaster for the Patriots, and more importantly, disaster for me. So I cannot pick the Patriots anymore this year. They are out. They're awful. They're out. I'm out. I was the last person. I'm shutting off the light. The last person still thinking the Patriots might be able to turn this around to a level where they're just respectable. Find a win somewhere. It's over. So I can't pick the Patriots anymore. But I can still pick against them. Bills minus eight and a half against the Patriots this week in New England. Bills on the road. And it's tough to know what you're getting with the Bills. We... The, the performance against the Jaguars was not that unusual considering they they arrived, I think it was on Friday in London. Jaguars had been there for two weeks. They were adjusted. Jaguars, I guess, better than maybe I gave them credit for. That performance was not that unusual. Last week against the Giants, I, I, it's kind of hard to figure what the Bills are. Is it just simply that the defense has lost so many pieces, that their, that their defense is maybe not as good? But the offense, I figured the offense would be able to roll some points out. And I didn't pick that game last week. I didn't like the point spread being that high. But what we've seen the last few years is that the Bills absolutely maul the Patriots. They've done that here for the last three or four years. And now with the Patriots being lower than ever before, I know it's eight and a half. Usually that doesn't, uh, is not a line that I would be looking at. But I've been so wrong for so long this year, I got to start shaking it up. So give me the Bills. Minus the eight and a half on the road. And those are the only two picks. I am not uh, stretching things out to three picks. I'm not stretching. I'm compartmentalizing people. Those are your picks for week seven in the NFL. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. 1-800-919-3776. Still got some time here in this segment before Harvey uh, yells at me again. Uh, let's go back to the phones, shall we? Let's go out to uh, Ray as in Clinton. Ray, next up on uh, the Gordon Damer Show. 
Hey, Gordon, I uh, love, love your show. And I know you moved past this. I know you moved past this segment, but I got to tell you something. Yeah. So that LinkedIn profile you read, yeah. this guy that's supposedly at the center of this mm-hmm. conspiracy. Yeah. I'm, I've been in military intelligence for 27 years and I retired. Uh-huh. He took he took that directly from an open source manual that we tr- that we train our basic intel people. There's nothing spectacular about him putting that in his profile. And I so know what you're because, saying is he's a plagiarist as well. Oh, absolutely. And here's the thing: he says he's in the Marines or whatever. Mm-hmm. The Marine military intelligence officers all go to the Army school. I taught them, and you can look it up: Fort Huachuca, Arizona. That's where they go. And that's where it's taught. So he's just listen. You got to boast yourself, right? You got to make a living. I, I that's fine, right? But for, for for the NCAA not to know that who this guy is professing to be some sort of wizard, spare me. Anyway, that was it. Hey, thank you. All right, right. I appreciate it. Thanks for the phone call. One eight hundred nine one nine ESPN. One eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. Connor Stallions is his name. What a perfectly named person for that uh, kind of role. Huge scandal. I kept, I kept reading it, kept waiting. All right, it's going to get, gonna get bad here in a minute. It's going to get really bad. I've heard people say that, that, that Jim Harbaugh should lose his job as a result. Do people not know what goes on in college football? I don't know. It doesn't, it didn't, I kept waiting for it to get, and maybe that's an indictment of me. Maybe I'm just a, such, a, such a dark heart that I'm just expecting much, much worse things. I've seen too much. I've lived too long. Richard is in Manhattan. Richard, what's going on, my friend? Gordon, how is the Ohio State-Penn State game on today at 12 o'clock? You know what we got tonight? We got Virginia, we got Duke, and we got North Carolina, which is fine if it's NCAA basketball. I don't want to watch those football games at night. Ohio State-Penn State, standalone, 8 o'clock ESPN. What is this? What is this 12 o'clock game for? Well, don't they usually the have it at 12 o'clock? Isn't it usually like, isn't it the normal time slot that they have it? 12 o'clock, two undefeated Big Ten teams? Come on. They got to do something about that. They I don't do think they everything. have the flex scheduling. I don't care what you do. Uh, Gordon, it doesn't make sense. I don't need to know the mechanics. All I know is what I know. And that game should be standalone, 8 o'clock tonight. Okay, that's right. Uh, Houston, lo- the uh, Astros uh, losing first two at home. I don't think a team has done that and then went four straight on uh, four straight after that since the Yankees against Atlanta. Yeah, Yankees 96. 96. Yep. Right? Yep. Altuve, that guy could have played in any era. Now, I always thought Joe Morgan was the best player on those Cincinnati Red teams. I thought he was better than Rose, than Bench, than Perez, than Ed George, for any of them, Forster, any of them. Concepcion, that's how much I thought of Joe Morgan. But this guy, Altuve, is as close to Joe Morgan as I've seen in baseball. This guy could have played at any time. You know how baseball has changed? In the 50s, in a period of seven years, all right, 52-53, the Yankees and Dodgers met twice in a row. 55-56, the Yankees met twice in a row. The Yankees and Dodgers twice in a row. 57-58, the Yankees and the Braves met twice in a row. Then we went 20 years without that happening. 77 and 78, the Yankees and Dodgers met. Now we've gone 45 years since it's happened, we have a chance this time, uh, Philly and Houston, if if they meet. So that would be nice to see. Um, I mean, it hasn't happened in 45 years. But another, uh, you know, that as far as that goes. And as far as Zach Wilson, I just want to add two cents on that, Zach. If Zach Wilson gets the Jets into the playoffs, only if he gets us into the playoffs, 
I don't care how bad he's playing, how much game managing he's doing. He's got to play in the first round. I don't care if miraculously uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers is ready. And I don't think Aaron Rodgers would do that. I really don't. I understand Mm. he's a macho man. He's a uh, competitive guy. And if he says he's ready to just have to cowtail to him, I understand that. I don't think he would. Along the lines with uh, not taking number 12 from, from Joe Namath. That's how I feel. I think he'd say, no, let Zach go. I'm not ready yet. Whether he is or not, whether he wants to play, that's yeah. how I – and it would I, be a final chapter to a great season because if you cut off Zach – I mean, I'm only saying if he gets us into the playoffs like that, it would be a great story. I, I haven't seen a New York athlete, any athlete, who would have arisen every sports talk. Nobody had, was in this kid's favor, in this kid's corner. Nobody. They want Greenberg and Joe Namath. Everyone said he couldn't play, couldn't play. Get him out. The most ardent Jet fan, Ira from Staten Island, he didn't want nobody. Well, I mean, they weren't, Richard, and thanks for the phone call. I mean, they weren't, they weren't coming out of left field. I mean, the guy was terrible. Um, so uh, I, I could understand why they were. I, I, I don't, I, I need somebody to draw me up the scenario where Rodgers returns this year. Like how it makes sense for him to return this year. Again, He's the oldest player currently in the NFL. He's coming off a significant injury, which generally almost always means that the guy misses an entire season. I get that medical treatments are better for it now, but draw me up the scenario where it makes sense for him to get back on a field this year. If the Jets are out of it, if they have nothing to play for, what's the point of him coming back this year? It does, that doesn't make any sense. You have nothing... If you're admitting you have nothing, if they're six and eight at the end of the year, what sense does it make just to simply see him back there on an NFL field where you're at least leaving open the possibility of, a, of re-injuring it? That doesn't make any sense. If they're in playoff contention, well, then that tells you that Zach is playing well enough that you can be in playoff contention. You're going to just now take Rodgers, Cold, hasn't played all season outside of four plays, throw him back in there and hope that it, it just all works and all clicks after he has not played and he's coming off this, this injury. I, I just don't see the scenario where it makes sense. Now, if, if it's a type of thing where he comes to the Jets and says, I want to play, it's clear he's going to play. He is running the show. I just don't think that it makes any There's no scenario in my mind where it makes sense for him to play again this year. It's, it should be the type of thing, and it's not going to be, but it should be the type of thing where the Jets tell him, look, we want to have a relationship with you long-term. We don't look at this as a one-year relationship. You're going to be back next year. Rest up, be ready, and next year we're going to do as best we can this year with what we got, and then next year we're going to add you to the mix, and hopefully it go, we go real far. But it all depends on you being healthy for the long-term, not just for the short-term. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. Coming up, what would you say is the biggest story in the NFL this year? What would you say is the big, is it the Chiefs? Is it the Dolphins? Is it uh, Aaron Rodgers? I think that there's something that's, it's not the one that most people would say, but I think it's going to be absolutely fascinating how it plays out and what it means for next year too. I'll tell you what it is coming up. It's the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM, ESPN New York. I don't need to know the mechanics. All I know is what I know. 
Now back to the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. What would you say as we head into week seven of the NFL season is the biggest story so far in the NFL? Is it the Dolphins and their offense, record-setting pace? The Chiefs, their 5-1 and one start? The 49ers with the, how Brock Purdy has played? I don't think it's any of those. It's not Aaron Rodgers, no matter, how, no matter how bad he wants it to be. I think the biggest story of the NFL, and it's not one that's gone under the radar, it's been focused on. But to me, the biggest one is how much the Patriots stink. They stink like hot garbage. And, and it's not a temporary thing. We've seen the Patriots get off to slow starts before. This is not that this is not that. This is they are a bad team. And it's one thing to when you're a bad team to lose to better teams. Last week, they couldn't even beat the Raiders. This is not turning around. And I get it. I'm the last person uh, uh, that was still kind of holding out some hope that things might turn around. But it's clear this season is going to be a disaster. In New England, no matter how bad people thought it was going to be, it's been worse than that. Like a lot of people thought the Patriots going to be in last in the AFC East. It's clear that they're going to have one of the top picks in the NFL draft. They're not just going to be six and 11 kind of bad. They're going to be like three and 14 kind of bad. So this week, Albert Breer, who obviously covers the NFL for for NFL.com, had had spoken, was it on Cowherd, someplace where he was talking about the conversations have already taken place within the Patriots about firing Bill Belichick. Now, the game eventually, everybody gets passed by at some point. And I figured that when Belichick left New England, it would be the kind of thing where he left New England, right? Gets to the end of his contract. He passes uh, Don Shula for the all-time wins list. And there's a, there's a parting of ways. Maybe he takes some job in the front office where he's not the coach anymore. But it's not going to be that. It seems pretty clear. Like when, when, when Brady left, they were clearly in kind of rebuild mode. Even though they made the playoffs that following year with, with, with uh, Mac Jones, it was clear that they were going to have to kind of to, to rebuild. Well, they're, they need to rebuild more now than then. And when you're Bill Belichick, when you're running the show, and the show looks like this, it's hard to blame it on anyone else. I mean, after all, who does he think he is? Brian Cashman? Are the Patriots planning on having an audit after the season? These are conversations for another time. But, I mean, are we actually going to see Bill Belichick get fired? It seemed un- it really kind of seemed unthinkable. Even though Robert Kraft had those comments before the season that yes, the pressure is on. So here's the question that I have. Let's say that that Belichick gets fired either in the season or after this season. He's no longer the coach of the Patriots. He's still what? How many uh, away from from Shula? He's still 17 wins away. Well, which doesn't sound like it, but it's an NFL season. 17 wins. That's, a, that's like at least two years. And at this rate with the Patriots, it's at least three years away from. So if that's important to him, having the all-time wins record, he gets fired in New England. Here's my question. 
Does he still want to coach after this season? And would there be a team that would be interested in him? Now, you would say automatic. Oh, of course, he's Bill Belichick. There's going to be a team that's interested in him. Matt Eberflus got a chance. Somebody's going to be interested in, in Bill Belichick. But the problem is, if you're getting Bill Belichick, you're getting the whole package. You're not just getting a head coach. It's almost like you're bringing in a star player where you'd have to turn over your organization to him. And he's what, 71, 72? So if you root for a terrible team, if you're a a perennially bad organization, like the Bears, Chicago Bears, have really had no um, success here for, for a long time. And it certainly seems like uh, Matt Eberflus and, and, and maybe the GM are going to be out after the, the, the year. I mean, they're going to have the first pick and the second pick in the draft. Here's the thing. If you root for a bad team and you find out your team is hiring Bill Belichick as your next head coach, would you be excited about that? It seems unfathomable to, to think that you would not be, but I think watching what you're watching with Belichick and and just his his track record, which is amazing. Again, he's on the short list of greatest coaches of all time. But the game eventually comes for everybody. It passes everybody by. I, I don't know that I would be excited about my organization, no matter how bad my organization was, that I would be excited about, hey, we're just going to give Bill the, the, the rule over everything. Despite his great success, it doesn't feel like that's – it doesn't feel like he's ever getting back to where he was. And if you're not going to get back to – Super Bowls and championships and division titles. And it, it just kind of seems like it's it's over with. But I don't know. I don't know if I... I it's hard to think that you could have a, a... And maybe it's because my team's experiencing some success this year. Whereas if I was in the, in the wallows, I, I've given far less qualified people run of the organization. I, I don't know that I'd be excited... If I found out that my team, the Bears, the Cardinals, you know, like one of these teams that's not had a whole lot of success anytime lately, hey, we're hiring Bill Belichick and he's coming in and he's going to run the whole show, given with the way things have looked here the last three years in New England. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number, 1-800-919-3776. Coming up, we got to run the algorithm on the NBA season. We got some, some answers to that so we can load up the Free Money Express. Halloween is 10 days away, so I have a list of the scariest movies that science has tested it out, and we'll see if uh, this matches up with your list, and we'll do that next. Now back to The Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. Look, when it comes to Belichick, if you're, if you're saying he's going to get fired, and if you're saying that he would want to coach another team, the most likely team would have to be the Giants, right? I mean, that that's the organization that he started with. It's always that 30 for 30 that they did. It's it's clear that he still has a soft spot in the organization. Uh, he he is a sp- the, the organization has a soft spot in his heart. Uh, I don't think the Giants are going to be uh, firing Dable and Shane to all of a sudden bring in Bill Belichick after. But that would be, a, a, I guess, the most likely, right? If the Giants win three games this year and they're looking inept and all that type of stuff. I don't know. I don't think that I would be excited if my team uh, all of a sudden said, we're bringing in Bill Belichick and he's going to run the whole show based on how it's not just this year. 
it, this year was predictable. I didn't predict it, but a whole lot of other people did. They looked at that team, and they looked at that roster, and they said, boy, this ain't it. And so far, they've been absolutely right. Uh, all right, 1-800-919-ESPN is the uh, telephone number, 1-800-919-3776. All right, I want to get to some NBA stuff because the free money express is loading up. After the success of the NBA, uh, the NFL algorithm, which if Aaron Rodgers had not gotten hurt, boy, that NFL algorithm would be right on cue right now. Jets are 3-3 three and three even without him. We have fired up the algorithm for some free money this year. We are looking to determine... Who is going to be the 2024 NBA MVP? So how did I do this? I looked at, I think it's the top 30 names uh, on FanDuel in terms of, of betting odds. And we ran it through historically what has happened. So, yes, the algorithm is ready. Take notes, people. We'd usually do a receipts segment later on. This is going to be our receipt for this week. We've run, we have the answer. We know what the answer is. So based on the betting odds right now, Jokic is the favorite at plus 430. Luka is second choice, plus 550. Giannis plus 600. Jason Tatum plus 750. Embiid plus 850. Then you get a little further down. Steph, Durant, Booker, they're all in the over plus 1,000 category. Then you get the real long shots. Anthony Davis, Anthony Edwards, Donovan Mitchell. But the first category that we looked at, historically, if you're going to be the NBA MVP, this doesn't seem like much of a surprise, but your team is going to have to win a lot of games in the regular season. Basically, if you're not a top three seed, if your team is not a top three seed, you are not going to win the MVP. 33... Of the last 35 MVPs, 94% came from teams that were top three seeds. So that's the first thing. So of those names that we gave you already, there's a bunch that we can kind of cross off. The second category that we filtered into the algorithm, you have to play a lot. Now, the NBA has set a 65-game minimum requirement for MVPs and the other awards. So we looked back at history. Only seven MVPs have missed more than six games. Now, one of them came last year in Embiid. He was the first MVP in 40 years to miss more than 11 games. But if you have to win a lot, and you have to be a top three seed, and you have to play a lot, that takes a lot of those names out of of the top 30. Some names that are included in there are Kyrie and James Harden at plus 12,000. I will just tell you right now, If you are putting your money down on James Harden or Kyrie Irving to win NBA MVP, you deserve a lot more than plus 12,000. You you deserve like plus a billion. You you deserve to be Jeff Bates. If you have the confidence to put your own money down on that, you deserve to have a lot more uh, than just plus 12,000. Okay. So we still have a, a bunch of names on this list and we're filtering it down. The next category that we used... MVPs made the playoffs the following year. Like winning MVP doesn't just start on opening night. There's a a narrative. There's a storyline even going into the season. So 43 of the last 44 made the playoffs the following year. The only other exception to that was Steve Nash one year, but that's the one exception. So you'd have to say 
Luca, he's out, which is a pretty, I think he was the second choice. Plus the Mavs over under is 44 wins. So they don't really project to be a top three seed in the West. Other factors that we use, 17 of the last 18 MVPs were either all first or second All-NBA the year before. So when you take all those... Do we have the the algorithm sound effect again? When you take in all those sound effects, when you take in all those factors for the sound effects, uh, there's only really three names that, that fit all the criteria. They are the defending MVP, Joel Embiid, Donovan Mitchell and Jason Tatum. Those are the only, based on history. And the algorithm has come up with a a very specific, of those three names, of all the things, 79.3%, the algorithm says, Jason Tatum will be the NBA MVP in 2020. Lock it in, people. Book that receipt. Second straight All-NBA team last year. His team has finished one or two in the, in the East the last couple of years. And last year, he finished fourth in the MVP voting. So he's within that range of uh, you have to finish the, the, the previous year top six. So there you go. We have booked our receipt. Jason Tatum of the Boston Celtics will be your 2024 NBA MVP. And all I will say to you is, you're welcome. There's there's free money right there for you. Free cat. The free money express is booked once again. All right, so the other NBA thing that I wanted to touch on, people have certainly brought it up. The next season opens up on Wednesday night. Two things that are interesting to me and, and, and are going to kind of pop up here. Um, the Knicks have to prove to you that last year was not somewhat best-case scenario. Winning, not just making the playoffs, winning a playoff series in the first time in forever, it felt like of the range of outcomes, that was about as high as it could get. Now, I know with the way things ended against Miami, you kind of thought maybe it could go even deeper. And the expectation this year is that it will go deeper, even though they've not really made all that many improvements. And it does feel like last year was of the higher, a lot of things went right last year. Brunson could not have been better. It didn't seem like things were going that well early on in the season that then Tibbs made the change and shortened the bench and all that type of stuff, and, and away they went. Um, when you look at this year, and it, not that it's the same sport, it just kind of somewhat seems similar to a lot of the things we were saying about the Giants coming into this year. Well, there's going to be we, – we saw a lot of good progression last year. They haven't made that many changes, but they're going to rely on the, the group that got them to where they were. I don't know. It just feels like – if you're really expecting any more improvement than what you have, I think that this year would be a solid year if they could match what they did the previous year. And this is a very big season because already the conversations has turned to Tibbs' contract. What are you going to do? And I'm not looking to make any decision on that before I have to. I think that you can wait for, to see this entire season before you make a decision on that. But if this year looks like last year, I know Nick fans are probably not going to want to hear it. Tibbs is getting a new contract. They're not moving off of Tibbs. When you've had as bad runs as the Knicks have had over the previous two decades, and you find a coach who not only kind of gives you some some stability, but gives you some level of success, you're not moving off of him unless you absolutely have to. 
1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. 1-800-919-3776. Coming up, it's The Leftovers. It's on The Gordon Damer Show. It's 98.7 FM, ESPN New York. Now back to The Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. Hungry Damer is never full. At this stage of my life, eating is like 90% of my joy. Where he answers the unanswerable. Gotta do something with my hands. I gotta get busy. No algorithm can defeat the GD. These are Gordon Damer's leftovers. All right, so we got, what, 10 days before Halloween. Now, we were talking, I don't remember when it was, but I was bringing up, like, the scariest movies of all time, at least for me. And I, and it has to happen when you're a kid, right? Like, it can still be scary when you're an adult, but it's not going to scare you in the same way as when you're 10, 11, 12, watching movies that you probably shouldn't be watching. And the two for me growing up, one, The Omen, when they have that scene of the, what was it, the nanny? She's... Damien, it's all for you. Oh, my God. That scene still gives me the willies. Uh, an Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the end of that movie, the, the, the one with uh, Donald Sutherland. I mean, it came out in, like, 1978. If you haven't seen it by now, the, the people get in, invaded by pod people, and, and when they become like these zombies, they point towards the, 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 the non-zombies to point out who the humans are so they can capture them, too. At the end of the movie... The, the the female lead is following behind Donald Sutherland. They've gotten separated, and she's shouting out to him. I don't remember what his name moved. Michael, Michael. And all of a sudden, he turns around, and he's a pod person. Oh, and he points, and he screams. Oh, gives you the willies. So apparently, there's this thing where uh, this group has studied what the scariest movies of all time are, and they, t- they have a group of viewers and they measure their heart rates during the movie, what the base level is at the start of the movie, what the highest peak is, and what the average is throughout, what affects people the most. So I have the top five movies here. Harvey, Joe, what is the scare? If I say to you the scariest movie you've ever seen in your life, the answer is? The Ring for me. Is that on there? Uh, The Ring is not on there. It's not in the top ten. I, I remember that being some. I was a little older, so it didn't scare me in the same way, but I can see that being. That would be, I think, a, a very popular answer. Harvey, what do you got? I'm going to go with Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs. That's more of a psycho. That's my line. My wife hates scary movies. So anytime I want to watch a scary movie with her, I tell her it's not really horror, it's more of like a psychological thriller. I did that with uh, the movie Hereditary with. Um, Tony Collette, oh boy, that's a, that scared me as a as an adult. That's telling you something. So hereditary. Now I I will admit to you, I'm old, so maybe I'm just not with it anymore. So maybe I just don't know these movies. Hereditary came in at number six, and Hereditary is not just a scary movie; it's a really well done movie. It's one of those movies that, like, if you go back and you watch it a second time, there's a lot of details that you missed the first time, and it just keeps kind of growing. A lot of work went into that. Here are the top five, according to this this group that does this, based on science. Number five is a movie called The Conjuring. Doesn't say, it sounds very generic, The Conjuring. Doesn't that sound... Um, have either of you guys are far significantly younger than I am. Have you ever heard of The Conjuring? It's freaky. I wouldn't say it's like necessarily scary, mm-hmm. but it is kind of like that, you know, you're looking out your window twice sort of thing okay so that came out in 2013 
it has uh, Vera Farmiga. I, I don't know how you say that. She was in, uh, she's been in a lot of movies. I can't remember how you say her name. Patrick Wilson is an actor. He's been in a bunch of stuff. He was in that. That, that got very high ratings. Number five. Number four was something called Insidious. Have either of you heard of Insidious? Not my cup of tea, but I could see. You've seen it? Yeah, I could see okay. why that would be on there. Okay. Now, like, are these all, um, are, are these all, like, uh, possession kind of things? Yeah. Yeah, all right. And all right. jump scary type gotcha. of stuff. All right. A third one was something I'd never heard of, Skinamarink. Have you ever heard of Skinamarink? These are, these are actual movies. No. Number two is Host. Can't say I've heard of that one either. Right, Which number host? One, number one is called Sinister. It's got Ethan Hawke in it. It came out a while. I think it came out in 2015. I can't say that I've ever heard of that one either. They're very... The, the problem is the, like, the omen, that the invasion of the body snatchers. These are too... The, the, the names are too, um, too generic. So I think what I'm going to do is this week... I'm going to run through as many of these before next week's show, and we'll see how uh, my rankings match up. But the, the one sinister, that is like the new champion. It had been number two, and then they retested it with new technology, so that's now number one. You All might right, not so be we'll, sleeping well this week. I don't know. I don't think that any of these are actually going to scare. I think you have to be of a certain age to really get terrified. Although I'll say the, the hereditary, that did, uh, that did get me. This would be a great list for the great Anthony Pusick. He's a horror movie junkie. All right. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch as many of these as I can squeeze in this week. Obviously, we have the Knicks on Wednesday, so maybe I'll squeeze in a couple other ones uh, some other days. But all right. So there's the scariest movies of all time, which none of us have ever heard of. Uh, all right, Harvey, you got something for The Leftovers. What is it? Well, I was looking at, uh, since you mentioned Belichick and Dayball and other stuff, mm-hmm. Yeah. if you look on, if you search up A Football Life, which is a docuseries on players and the careers yeah, and all yeah. that right, yeah. and they have one of bill belichick in from 2009 mm-hmm. and he goes week two when they play the jets in on um the first time against rex ryan yeah and he's going through like the corridors of like the old giant stadium because that was the last year of the old giant stadium right sure and he talks about his experiences and he's essentially welling up almost oh, to yeah, tears absolutely. very emotional yep, yeah he loved the giants yep so it got me to thinking like maybe if if that's a thing though, like let's just say they do fire Brian Dayball, which they won't, I don't think no, so, they and they go with Bill Belichick, it's kind of like a reach in a way. Not that he's lost the Midas touch, but it's like, do you really think he can like conjure up like, you know, like a ten? Maybe you could season? have a sequel to The Conjuring with sure. the Conjuring of Bill Belichick. <laughs> sure. Now, let me ask you this: You're a Giant fan. If I told you that the Giants after this season are three and thirteen, they fire Dable, and Belichick's available. Would you be excited to know that the Giants are going after Bill Belichick? You wouldn't be. I mean, mean, that's how how bad seven games. Well, it's not just the seven games this year or the six games this year. It's the last couple of years. It definitely feels like it's over. It was a magical run. It lasted, you know, two decades. But it's done with. It's it, it, he's not he's not going to go someplace else, and you're going to feel good about. Hey, Bill Belichick is going to come in here and fix everything. Like he would have, it would have felt like maybe ten years ago or five years ago. Well, not only that, like what what kind of magic are you trying to capture? Like I thought this program was going to be Shane and Dayball all the way. And then yeah, gonna- I get. I don't think that they're getting fired, but based on how the Giants have played so far this year, it's and and the fact that 
if Belichick had his choice of going to another organization, I think clearly it would be the Giants. And it's not like the game has passed him by. He made the playoffs with Mac Jones two years ago. Yeah, I, I don't know. Two years is a long time. When you're, when you're, when you're only going to win uh, three or four games this year or five or six games at most, uh, things have... I thought you were going to go with the worst coaches of the year. I thought you had a list. Well, some that stuck out with me, you mentioned it, Matt Nagy. Right, Matt Nagy. Dick, Ron Rivera, I think, has won it too. Dick Jerron, 2001. All right, that, that, yeah, that's that, that's the outlier there. For and sure. Lovey Smith over Mike Holmgren in 05 is a travesty, in my opinion. Well, it's good to know that you uh, are focused in on the 2005 Coach of the Year award winners. That's, that's what we got you for. Over, that and, and making sure that the, the clock is followed to the number, to the very digit. And, and it's not possible that we go over by a single second.